We're talking about self-esteem. What is it? Why does it matter? And what does the Bible say about it? Thanks to Heather for this episode's topic. If you have a topic that you would like covered, please get those to me. My contact info will be in the show notes. On the topic of self-esteem, like with many areas of life, there is a balance with how we evaluate our self-worth. On one side of the road is a ditch of pride and arrogance, and on the other is a ditch of self-harm or even suicide. Note the visual here is a road that is left and right. It's not a scale that is up and down. We are tempted to look at self-esteem and think of it on a scale like you would whack at the fair, thinking, I need to give it a good go, but stop short of ringing the bell of pride. I hope to dispel that way of thinking. It's not the right amount, but the right kind that matters here, and is exactly why we need to focus on growing the right kind of self-esteem. Self-esteem is important because it is not only how we value ourselves, but it affects how we act in the world and how we relate to those around us. Early theories suggest that self-esteem is a basic human need. American psychologist Abraham Maslow included self-esteem in his hierarchy of human needs. He described it as two different forms of esteem, the need for respect from others, in the form of recognition, success, and admiration, we'll call this others' esteem, and then the need for self-respect in the form of self-love, self-confidence, and how we view our skills or aptitude. This is what we call self-esteem. We may look at the other's esteem more in depth in a future episode, but what are the differences between these two? Well, simply put, it's where the esteem comes from. Other's esteem is how others value us, while self-esteem is how we value ourselves. Self-esteem and other's esteem can feed off each other. For example, when others have a high esteem of me, and that is communicated, then it can serve to boost my own view of myself. This is thanks to a natural social check and balance. For example, if others see you as a dirtbag and you get that feedback, then it may tip the scale of how you value yourself, and that feedback should guide your social behavior in future interactions. And in a similar way, if I have a healthy self-esteem, then that translates to those social interactions and may tip the scale of how others view and value me. Of course, there are some exceptions, but we're social creatures and there are tons of mechanisms in place that regulate and influence our social behavior. However, the view of value and actual value may not always align. Said another way, how you value yourself may not be accurate. The actual value could be too high or it could be too low. If you view your own value lower than it actually is, then you will probably fail to reach your full potential have less confidence, waste your skills, and waste your abilities. On the other hand, if you view your own value higher than it actually is, then you're more likely to overextend your actual skills and abilities and be overconfident in risk-taking, which leads to a higher fail rate. The weakest link in the team or social group may be a result of value misalignment in either direction. Right-size self-esteem optimizes our skills and abilities, while knowing limitations to avoid those excessive risks. Carl Rogers, who lived from 1902 to 1987, was an advocate of humanistic psychology. He theorized the origin of many people's problems to be that they despised themselves or considered themselves worthless and incapable of being loved. 
So this is why Rogers believed in the importance of giving unconditional acceptance to clients, and when it was done, it could improve the client's self-esteem. In his therapy sessions with clients, he offered positive regard no matter what. The concept of self-esteem in humanistic psychology has been approached since then that way and as an inalienable right for every person. So that inalienable right is you cannot take it away. It's not something that can be given away or traded or sold, but it is something that is yours. So every human being, with no exception, for the mere fact to be it, is worthy of unconditional respect of everybody else. He deserves to esteem himself and to be esteemed. That's the summarization of Carl Rogers' concept of self-esteem. So, what does the Bible say? How should we view ourselves? Many point to the Apostle Paul as being the poster child for being put down in the dumps, and some go as far as to call him the depressed apostle. We know that he was afflicted with some sort of thorn in the flesh that he prayed for God to rid him of, but God allowed it to remain to keep him humble or more specifically, to prevent him from being exalted above measure through the abundance of his revelations. I want to point out the difference between how he viewed his flesh, his sin, and his self-worth. So Paul wrote a good deal of the New Testament, and because of this, we have a good bit of material to draw from for insight. We know he viewed himself as the chief of sinners in his letter to Timothy. Then in a letter to the Romans, he wrote that all have sinned and fall short of God's glory and later saying, O oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He even despaired of life itself in a letter to the church of Corinth, but he had a lot to brag about, humanly speaking. He even said, If anyone else thinks he has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness, under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Paul views himself as blameless in the sight of the law, with all the religious credentials to back him up. But at the same time, he recognizes his sinful nature before a holy God, and sees his spiritual hopelessness in his own abilities. But this is a tension in which he views his spiritual self in a battle between law and grace, between flesh and the spirit. But did this tension bleed over into how he viewed his self-worth? Well, regardless of how he viewed himself, or anyone throughout history for that matter, it didn't change his actual worth. That was true for Paul, and it's true for you. To look more at the root of it, let's look at Psalms 139. This was written by David, you know, the David and Goliath, the one who became king of Israel and who was a man after God's own heart, that guy. This is a psalm to God, with a tone of worship being in awe of how much God knows. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in, behind and before, and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall come over me, and the light about me be night. 
Even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you, when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I would count them, they are more than the sand. So here in this psalm, you see this crazy amount of detail that God, our Father, the Creator, knows about David. And it's not just David. God knows all of his creations. And to think about how much we think about God compared to how much he thinks about us is absolutely amazing. He says, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. Just talking about the thoughts of God. How vast is the sum of them? If I would count them, they are more than the sand. God is thinking about you. He cares about you. He loves you. So, what is the right kind of self-esteem? If God spends so much time on you as a person, as an individual, right where you're at, well, God made you, and God doesn't make junk. He knows you, He loves you, and He cares about you. We have this nasty thing called sin. It's around because God loves us to give us a choice. He also loved us enough to send His Son, Jesus, to die in our place so that we can be with Him forever. Jesus gave His life for you, because you are worth it. Thank you for joining me.